only get to watch that video for two more weeks after this morning. It's a really good one. So props to Roly. Can you give it up uh, for Roly as, as skills to be able to do that? So we want to be able to uh, talk about one of the really important topics this morning, which is leadership, uh, empowering leadership. So you can come down a little on the mic. Thanks. <clears throat> so to, to be able to look at this, we're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. So if you brought a Bible, you can open to that, or if you want to open that on your app. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love for you to leave today with one. We really... Uh, at Discovery Church, believe that God's truth is revealed in his word. And his word gives us everything we need for faith and life, uh, to be able to know and be in relationship with God and to walk in his way in this life and to be with him forever. So on the communion tables, kind of in the middle of the room, there's some Bibles. You're always welcome to get up, grab one, raise your hand, get one. Uh, but we want you to be in the word. Um, a number of weeks ago, when we started this bodybuilding series, we did a survey. And we got a, a, a very solid number of respondents uh, responding to that survey. And we were looking at those eight quality characteristics that you saw in the video. And um, I really felt like <laughs> I was kind of excited because I was remembering back to Family Feud. Now, it, it does, did anybody ever watch, you know, kind of the, the Price is Right, Family Feud, Jeopardy? Anybody? Come on. I mean, they're, they're kind of fun, these, these, these games. And Family Feud was always hilarious because they were always going to have a question that was going to catch somebody off guard and laugh. And I was back in the era of Phil Dawson. Um, you know, now Steve Harvey hosts it. But, but there's always going to be a question. And then the catchphrase that the host would always say, and if you know it, you can say it with me. The, the host would say, and the survey says... Thank you very much for playing along with that. So, you know, and they'd have some kind of innocuous question like, um, you know, what do you pack when, you, when you're going on a trip to the snow or something like that? And then it would flip over. Occasionally, kind of one that would elicit spontaneous and, and occasionally uh, very humorous answers as well. But really what we're trying to do with that survey is ask this question. What is the strongest part of Discovery Church? That's really what we wanted to know. And in fact, we wanted to know the flip side of that too, which is what is the weakest part of Discovery Church? And so what we learned uh, when we took the survey, we would say, if we were flipping those over, and the survey says, right? So we've been going over some of those top ones. You know, our top one was actually what we just uh, entered into, which is this idea of inspiring worship. When we come together on Sundays or we come together in other contexts, wanting to know and experience the presence of God. That we experience that by coming and knowing it's not about us, it's about the Lord. And uh, being able to come and to be able to let go of kind of our everyday life and our everyday situation to the best of our ability to say, whatever is concerning you right now, right now, right now, God will take care of it in this time that we set apart. It's called holiness, to set apart a place and a time as holy to God and to, to seek him, to sing about truths about who God is, about what we believe to declare to him his promises and his truth, to be able to commune with his presence uh, as we do week by week here at Discovery Church through the Lord's table, um, to hear messages, that, that, that time where we're, where we're lifted again because we realize it's, it's not just about what's bombarding us every day, but there's a grander plan that God's beginning to unfold, amen? 
And so, so that was a, our very, very top, um, top quality. And then the very low quality, you know, the one that would have the, the least responses or the least support or the least strength um, is actually what we're going to talk about in two weeks. It'll be our last message because it's the area that we want to grow up. But right above that, on the low end of the scale, was what we're talking about today, which is empowering leadership. Now, when we talk about eight quality characteristics, I began this series as we talked about comprehensive small groups and living in community together as God's people in, in relationship and community and groups. We were talking about just like our bodies, that's why we're saying healthy lives, healthy persons, healthy families, healthy church, because we believe that God put in place and designed things, okay? We clearly believe that from the scriptures, we clearly believe that as a church, that God has designed every aspect of life. And when God did that and put design together, he created systems, and as those systems function well, we're healthy. So just like our bodily systems, you know, my skeletal system and my respiratory system and my circulatory system and all the systems I went over in that first message are operational, then I am going to feel in my body that I am healthy, that I am strong, that I am flourishing, and I'm able to do um, all the, the activities of life because my body is healthy. In the same way, our families operate as systems, and in the same way, our church our congregation operates as a system. And in these eight health characteristics, we are only going to be as healthy as our least healthy system. Think about it for a moment. Some of you have already been hit with some flu or a cold or something that's kind of knocked you back in terms of your health. I know for me, I have kind of a recurring back issue in terms of my skeletal system. About a month ago, I was knocked back. My lower back went out. <sighs> just dealing with that pain again and going to the chiropractor and getting some PT to try and put that back in order. Everybody understand that? But when that was, when that was out of order, or even if today you're just coming off of an illness, when something like that is out of order, everything else is compromised. I'm not able to study. I'm not able to um, do the normal everyday things of life in the way that I'm accustomed. I'm not sleeping as well or whatever in terms of my personal life. And so when we talk about the church, we need to say, hey, whatever that system is, we want to lift it up and we want to bring it up. And gladly for us, as people of the word of God, we have a scripture and we have many scriptures to support and understand what empowering leadership looks like. And when we talk about the weak areas of our church, we're talking about the history of our church. We're not necessarily talking about the present. We're talking about the history of our church because the present and the future is determined by you. It's determined by how you're going to take what you're going to learn this morning from the scripture and say, I take personal uh, ownership of that. I take personal responsibility of that, and I'm going to carry that forth in my life. You understand? So uh, you can think about this, and you're like, oh, it's a message about leadership. I don't necessarily think of myself as a leader. I don't know if I can kind of really be present with this. I want to challenge you because we are all followers. We all follow and we can all learn to lead. We all follow and we can all learn to lead. And in your personal life, you better not think of yourself as not a leader, right? Because there's something that I teach in one of my classes at the university called self-leadership right? You are leading your own life. You're responsible for you, 
God's given you this one life to steward and live, and and you need to embrace this idea of life leadership. So you're going to at least be leading you. Uh, But when you enter into relationships that create households, that whether it's by agreement and togetherness through roommates or whether it's through marriage and and maybe having children, there's going to be leadership and followership within the context. And definitely that's true within the church. So I want to invite you to look at 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2. It's a great passage. The book of 2 Timothy is one of the last or if not the last letter that Paul wrote. It's the second letter that he wrote to Timothy, a young man who he considered a son in the faith. He was a father in the faith to Timothy. And he wanted to uh, impart this word, these words to Timothy so that he could be able to understand how he was to exercise leadership just as Paul exercised leadership. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 um, says this, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. The things you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust these to faithful men who will also be able to teach others. All right. Context. Timothy was given charge of the church in Ephesus. He was given charge of the responsibility of making sure that leadership happened well. And when these city churches existed, they, all, they operated within the context of households or dorms or apartment buildings or maybe a business after hours. That's how the church operated. There weren't necessarily large gatherings like we have here or in other church buildings around Davis, but the church existed house to house. The church existed in the marketplace, in the business after hours. It existed in the, in the gathering room on the upper, upper floor of this gathering place where people would come together. And those places were operated and, and um, overseen by elders. They were overseen by leaders. They were overseen by faithful men who were appointed into those places. And in fact, in the New Testament, we have examples of women who uh, were exercising hospitality and hosting that. We have images of couples like Priscilla and Aquila who were business people and who uh, actually in their business place, in the marketplace, were, were having these kinds of churches. So Paul had a responsibility with Timothy to say to Timothy, look, how is the church going to work meeting in these gatherings of 10 or 20 or 50 people around the city in an orderly fashion? Well, you have to have faithful ones who are going to actually exercise the authority in that place. And I want you to look at something very simple in this passage, and then we're going to kind of extrapolate on that as followers and as learners. First of all, in this passage, there's five generations of leadership in view. Five. So one of the most important things about leadership is not who's leading now, but who's going to lead next year and who's going to lead five years from now. Paul understood that it wasn't just going to be Timothy and Timothy's longevity in this role of oversight in the city of Ephesus that would matter. What would matter is that he was able to find others who were going to bear that with him and that they were only the ones who were going to be able to take that responsibility and live out that responsibility, but they were going to be the ones who were going to take and were going to prepare and help those who would come after them then beyond that. 
So you have Timothy, faithful men, those would be able to instruct others and pass on to others, those three generations. You also have Paul. Well, where's the fifth generation? You might say, Pastor Jeff, where's the fifth generation? Well, Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 1 and other places that he did not originate the material that he was passing on. He received, it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 1, write it down in your notes. 1 Corinthians 15, 1, he says, what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. And then he talks about the suffering, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. What I received... I passed on to you as of first importance. So this is something incredibly important about leaders and about empowering leaders. They receive something. You're not the originator. You're not the owner. You are the manager and the distributor, two completely different roles. The owner and the originator is Jesus Christ. The leader of leaders, the ultimate leader following the pathway all the way back from whatever leadership you have in our faith context is Jesus Christ. And that's why the verse starts with what words? Be strong, not in your leadership, not in your church, not in your decision making or your strategy or your objectives or your goals, but be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is the first mark of a follower of Christ. The first mark of a leader for Christ is being strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. So Jesus lived his life. He showed the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And as he invited them to follow him, they then began to imitate him and become leaders like him and then took what they received and they passed it on as of first importance. Leaders see that the first importance is not only being a great leader, but is being able to say, this is the woman, this is the man, this is the one that I'm going to pass this on to so he can take it to the next person, so she can take it to the next person. And that's why Discovery Church exists, is because for 2,000 years, disciples have understood the very simple teaching I'm offering you this morning, is that what you receive, you distribute. What you receive, you pass on. What you get and how you lead, you give to someone else. It's not the other person's responsibility. It's not... Scott's responsibility and GR or Justin or Kayla who are just standing up here. They have distinct, clear, defined responsibility within the life of this church. But as disciples and followers of Jesus Christ, we are called into a process by which we are all included in followership and leadership. So let's talk for a few moments. If you're a disciple learning to follow, because we all start as followers. If you're a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means you're learning the way of life of Jesus, very simply. If you're someone who's here and curious about Christianity today, your friend brought you with, or you're kind of looking on the outside in, very simply, unvarnished, it's this. You're looking at the life and the way and the work and the relationship and the purpose and the perspective of Jesus Christ, and you're saying, 
How will my life align with everything Jesus was about? And bringing the decisions of your everyday life into alignment with Jesus, being his follower. Because the word disciple in the, in the original language means learner. Makarios, learner. That's what you are. That's what I am. I'm a learner. I'm a lifelong learner. <laughs> You're a lifelong learner as a follower of Jesus Christ. You don't arrive. Are you discipled? Yes, you are. But you're also learning. That's the broadness and the, and the, the grandness and the deepness of getting to know Jesus over the course of your life. And you're a follower. Now think about these first followers, and we'll just pick on some of the 12 because they're so fun to do. But just think about who, who Jesus said uh, his words to. Follow me, Peter and Andrew. Blue-collar fishermen, workers. James and John, also in the fishing industry, but part of the business side of things. Their family owned boats, uh, so they were in a family business. Matthew was a tax collector uh, working for the government. Um, Simon, uh, the zealot, I don't know if you know what zealots were. In modern-day terminology, we could say, you know, uh, organized crime, organized gang member, if you, if you love the Jewish people and, you, you know, they were rallying for it, they did not want the Romans to rule over them, so agitators uh, of various kinds. Um, but he was included as a follower. Philip and Nathaniel were tradesmen. Uh, Judas Iscariot, an accountant, worked the books. Had some issues with that, obviously. But they were, they were all called into being these learners of the way of Jesus. Um, if you're writing down under learning to follow... Uh, embrace this, 58 times Jesus uses that phrase in the Gospels. Some of them overlap each other in the Synoptic Gospels, but 58 times, follow me, is used in, in the context. Matthew 8.22, um, Jesus says some, one of the hard ones. He says, let the dead bury their own dead, but you follow me. Uh, in Mark chapter 1.17, he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. In Luke 14, 27, he says, uh, calls them to carry their own cross and follow me. In John 10, 27, he says, uh, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. We hear his voice. And really, it's just very simply this in terms of followership, if you want to put it in your everyday context, because you've probably done this at some point, is this idea of, you know, uh, being a shadow, you know, shadow me, stay close to me and kind of just observe everything I'm doing and how I'm doing it. And, and it, followership is very simple. Are you ready? Show up, observe, listen, imitate. Show up, you know, be present, observe, listen, imitate, right? So, where does it all start for that Pete's barista or the Temple Coffee barista or the Starbucks barista? It shows by getting hired, but then they move into the shadow phase where they're going to get training. They're going to show up, they're going to observe, they're going to listen, and they're going to imitate. They're going to learn the processes by which they're going to make us that coffee that we want. Um, I remember just in terms of my experience and some of my training, I had the opportunity to work with Phil Manley at County USC Medical Center in Los Angeles. 
a crazy big hospital with every single thing you can possibly imagine that happens in an urban environment coming through that hospital. It was an education. And I was in the chaplaincy training program there under Phil Manley. And so I had the opportunity um, to be present in all kinds of situations of crisis that people face, both the persons who are the patients as well as the families. It was an incredible learning environment. But what was my primary job in the whole first phase of my training? Phil Manley would say, follow me. And I would follow him into the NICU. I would follow him into the AIDS ward. I would follow him into um, the emergency services who just brought in the gunshot victim. I didn't go by myself. I was overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do. But I would just watch the person who was great at what they did do their thing. That's followership. Finding the way and the place to do that. So if we're all disciples, we're all learners, then we've also heard the voice of Jesus, because we're his sheep, saying, they hear my voice and they follow me. So to learn to lead, you have to learn to follow. How are you doing as a follower? How are you doing as a follower of Jesus in your own personal life in terms of the alignment of the, the issues and the areas of your life with him? How are you doing in terms of followership, in terms of your household and how your household works and operates both practically and relationally? And then, you know, in our church. Because a good follower is a leader in training. A good follower is someone who's going to begin to incorporate those things in their life that are a way of life for the leader. So if we're learning to follow, then we can learn to lead. So get that progression, learning to follow, learning to lead. As that shadow, I was doing it, but learning to lead means actually leading. Actually leading. I had the opportunity and privilege to go to that other school focusing on agriculture called Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Go Mustangs. I know Davis beat us bad in football this year, but everybody's beaten us bad in football this year. <laughs> Been a bad year. But one of the things that I really appreciated about Cal Poly was um, the educational motto. The educational motto for Cal Poly is learn by doing. Learn by doing. Do you know how do you learn to lead? You lead. You learn to lead by leading. There's a point that you move from being a mentee or a follower or a shadow to actually doing it. It's scary. But it's really what Jesus did, right? Come follow me. Those guys... And the larger group of men and women followed him all over the place. But then eventually, what did Jesus do? He said, it's your time. I'm sending you out. Don't bring a bag with you. Bring only one pair of sandals. Gave him instructions. And then he sent them out. And I think this is important, two by two. <laughs> right? I was talking with some of the women's leaders here at the church this morning. And I was talking about the importance of redundancy. You know, and, and part of that is if one falters, the other can stand. 
But part of that also is I have so much more courage when I'm not by myself. Is that like you? Do you, do you resonate with that? I, I do well with feedback. You know, to know I'm not just the only one. But I have a lot more courage. I have a lot more stick to I have a lot more hope when I'm with somebody doing it. You get that? So, so to, in terms of learning to lead, you move into this process where you're saying, I'm willing to do it myself. You, you hear Paul say this in 1 Corinthians uh, twice in chapter 4, verse 16, and chapter 11, verse 1. His challenge to the Corinthian church in terms of his life was, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, now hear the little turn here. Those of you who are like really excited to be followers of Jesus, really excited to be learners. There comes a point of maturity for every one of us as followers of Jesus where you say, okay, now is the time. I'm walking in the way of life of Jesus. I've been in the shadow of this mentor, of this woman, of this man who's been helping show me the way of Jesus. And now I'm at a point of maturity to say, look, I'm going to turn to someone else and I'm going to say, follow me. Follow my way of life. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because I'm looking beyond the person who I've been walking with now 2,000 years after Jesus. But I'm looking through that person to the person of Jesus. I'm really getting intimate with Jesus. But, but I'm also learning the way of Jesus through this person who's, who's led me. But now I'm able to turn and I'm, I'm able to start doing it. And I'm saying, able to say to someone else behind me, follow me as I follow Christ. And going out to do what you've observed them doing. So leaders basically become leaders when they decide to impart what they've received. Everybody understanding what I'm saying? You're a leader when you've gained something, you've gained knowledge, you've gained wisdom, you've gained perspective from God, right? And now you're able to turn and to be able to help someone else move into that knowledge and wisdom and revelation that you've experienced. Let's go back to the baristas. Barista. Barista. Let's go back to the baristas for a second, right? So I was the shadow. I was moving around, learning the way and the culture of Temple Coffee. And now, uh, and I had my training, I was behind the scenes and I made coffee for myself for somebody who was working with me, right? But now I have to make my first coffee for my customer and I'm doing it. And I'm doing it and I'm good at it. And I have a way of life now as a barista. Well, now there's the new hire, I'm not the new guy anymore. And they say to me, okay, you showed that person the way. Impart what you've received. Now you're a leader. Now you're taking what you've received and you're giving it to someone else. What do we give them? Second Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. And the things you've heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, pass on to others. You're taking the grace of Jesus and the teachings, the wisdom, and the knowledge, and the way of life of Jesus, and you're imparting that and giving that to the next person in line. And what a joy it is when somebody steps out and does it. I had a group um, in a church I served in Folsom, California for about uh, seven years called The Huddle. 
The huddle was a place where people were learning about the way of the life of Jesus, and they were going to go out and do mission stuff. And so one of the women who was in the group, Mary Beth, she's gone on now to Malawi, Africa. And at first it was somebody invited her to go with them. Then she went back by herself. And then she felt like God wanted her there. And she has been uh, someone now who's doing that work, what she had received. And she's, she's sent me a couple of texts and a couple of emails. And she said, you know what I'm doing in Africa with this group of teachers that I'm working with in the Montessori schools and in the uh, Ministry of Education in the government? I'm doing the same thing we did in the huddle, <laughs> right? She's, she's taking the grace that she experienced there and the teachings that she experienced there, and she took them into her life as a way of life, and now she was bringing it into another context, and she was doing it herself. And she's faithful in that. Because it's very key in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, to look for faithful people. Who are faithful people? Who do you know that's faithful? What does faithfulness mean? Is faithfulness just showing up? Faithfulness definitely isn't not showing up, right? Faithfulness is showing up, but it's so much more. Faithfulness means that you're in the faith. You're full of faith. You're full of um, absorption with the person and the work of Jesus, right? So as I look at it, as people are doing this leadership process, it's basically going, and they're actually doing the work, it's going to begin to test you about who, whose you are, who you are, how you are, and where you walk. Let me unpack that with you just for a minute. As a leader, when you're learning to lead, it starts with this, this test of identity. Whose are you? Whose are you? That's the identity question. Because you're going to get tested. You're going to get tested by followers. You're going to get tested by people who resist. You're going to uh, have called into question, and there are going to be people in your life who say this. You ready? Who do you think you are? Why do you think you have this, this ability to or, or position to lead over me? And really, the, the question that you'll have in your mind now because of this message is, it's not, who do I think I am, but whose do I know I am? Whose do I know I am? God called you, God made you, God healed you, God redeemed you, and now he's giving you this, saying, as my son or my daughter, I'm giving you this opportunity to influence others. It tests who you are, which is your character, because you're experiencing the public Jeff right now. This is the public Jeff. This is what you got. I'm looking at you. This is the public you. You're showing up at church. The public us, we, we can be pretty, pretty great for minutes at a time, maybe even hours at a time, maybe even days at a time. But... <laughs> But who are you when nobody's looking? Who are you in, in that context where you're by yourself with your own thoughts or you're with those closest to you, right? You know, there's a Jeff behind the Jeff. 
And leadership means that there's a point in your life, if you're saying imitate me, that if you examine the, my public life um, and you go on and, and go do an internet search on me and learn everything you can about me that's public record, which is a lot, then you interview my wife or my sons or people I've worked with, people who've worked under me, people I've reported to, and do a 360, one of the hardest experiences for any leader, by the way, this 360 examination, right? But being able to say, what kind of alignment is there? It's gonna test your character, who you really are. It's gonna test your relationships, how those relationships are that are closest to you, and, um, and the authority in which you walk. Because ultimately, for the Christian leader, please hear this, the ultimate authority that you walk in is the authority of the Spirit of God on your life. The authority of the Spirit of God on your life, which is in alignment with Jesus. In the world, we operate by positional authority. That's the mayor. That's the president of the Chamber of Commerce. That's the CEO. That's the director of personnel. And they have the power of hiring and firing. My manager, my boss does. Everybody following me? Positional leadership. Asset leadership because people have something. But for the believer in the way of Jesus, what positional authority did Jesus have on earth when he walked the earth? Yeah. He walked as the son of God, but he actually never came and said, I appreciate that, that back. That was so good. He walked as... He, but, but Jesus, and I'm going to challenge your thinking here, drive you back to the Gospels. Jesus walked as the Son of Man. Jesus walked as the perfect second Adam. Jesus walked in the authority of love, the authority of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that came upon him in his baptism and his ministry. Jesus walked in the authority of relational, relational authority that happened because of people encountering the unconditional, powerful love of God through him. He was revealed as the Son of God by the Father when he said to Peter, you know, you didn't come up with this answer on yourself that I'm the Christ, the Son of God, but the Father revealed it to you. But he walked in the authority as a leader in the same authority than, than, than he would impart to his disciples, his followers, who were learning to lead. Because ultimately, he was going to leave. He was going to be crucified. He was going to rise. He was going to ascend to heaven. So in the Jesus way of things, he said, follow me. They walked with him. They observed him. And then he sent them out as the 12, or he sent them out as the 70. And they came back with report, and they began doing the ministry. But ultimately, the idea of empowering leadership is that you are able to give power to the person who's actually doing the leading. Jesus ultimately did that by saying, wait in Jerusalem until the promise comes, which is the Spirit of God, 
And you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Not only the 12, but those who would follow and lead after them. Everybody tracking with me on this? Storyline. So ultimately, the power comes from the Holy Spirit. But the power in our everyday leading life comes through people who are empowered leaders who say, now I've led for a season. I've led for a year. I've led for five years. And come to a point of maturity where you can look around and say, you know what, my greatest success, my greatest joy is to take the resources and the position and the titles and the uh, influence and anything that I have gained that has given me earthly power or whatever power I have from the Spirit of God and now to come alongside you. Right now in the, in the kids' rooms... Um, some of our high school youth, as well as uh, one of our high school leaders, Rosa, and our new youth intern, Andrew Allen, are working. Okay? Andrew Allen is the new youth intern. He's walking. I said to Andrew, come follow me. <laughs> right? He's going to be in my shadow. And I'm going to impart to him everything I know about youth ministry, as well as the other youth staff. Right? We're to create an environment of incredibly empowering, powerful youth ministry for any teen uh, uh, girl, every teen guy who's part of our church. That's a good thing, right? And so what we want to do, though, ultimately, my role is going to be as an empowering leader is to be alongside those leaders as they're doing their leadership and be the wisdom and the ear and the resource and the um, encouragement and to be able to give them what I've, uh, I've received. So learning to lead and leading from the side are two different things. Leading is doing. Leading is being in that role, being in that position, being in that authority spot. L but leading from the side is now saying, as I've done that, I've gained all kinds of perspective and resources and power and wisdom. Where's Justin in the room? I see you over there. Put your big tall arm really high, just for a second. He loves being called out. That's Justin. Give it up for Justin. So, I know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay, pay for that with Justin at some point. But thank you, Justin. But Justin has served remarkably Discovery Church for two terms as elder. And his eldership term is coming to an end on December 31st. But he's going to have the opportunity to exercise empowering leadership by being alongside Scott or GR or Jorge or whoever else is our elders in the future. He's gained something and his joy can be their success. Hear me on this. This is a missing element in church, in families, in our society in general. This is, this is really where leadership moves to empowering leadership. When you come to a point where some of us as part of the church say, I'm not going to lead now. I'm going to actually help you lead. And it's my greatest, your success is my greatest joy. Your success is my greatest joy. People of Discovery Church, this is where Discovery Church is headed. This is the leadership pathway that we embarked on a few months ago, is to say we want to be a church that has great followers, great disciples, learners of Jesus, people who are hearing the voice of Jesus and following him, 
And we also want to have great leaders, but not just leaders who do and do and do and do and do and then retire or burn out. That's the old story. The new story is those leaders who are leading in a season and then making way, giving room for the people who are going to take that spot. And those people are going to become empowering leaders. And we create an environment and a community, a leadership community, that is saying, we want to be five generations deep, just like 2 Timothy chapter 2, 1 and 2. Just like uh, the followers of Jesus over the centuries have been to create environments in which people move from being followers and learners to effective, effective leaders. And from effective, effective leaders to effective, effective mentors, effective sages at the side that are leading from the side forward in a leadership community. That's our vision for empowering leadership. That creates an environment for health and strength vibrancy and flourishing for a church like Discovery. You know, I want you to take to heart what Kayla said earlier about prayer for the search committee, prayer for the pastor who's going to come and pastor this church forward into a glorious future for this congregation to be um, amazing, but also for this city then to be strengthened and blessed by the kind of leaders that we're producing, not only for the internal functions for the church, but the external functions um, that are happening in the city, that are happening in the Chamber of Commerce, that are happening in the, the planning commissions, that are happening uh, on the campus, that are ha happening in the, the campus ministries, uh, of which many of you are a part who are students here today. We want to be that kind of church that's a producing and reproducing empowering leaders. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for today, for... Uh, being able to teach and instruct us according to um, your ways. Thank you for able and fantastic leaders who have built this particular church up over the last 15 years. Lord, for the, the life, um, God, of your church globally um, and the structures of leadership that have, that have uh, continued to reproduce and release um, a greater witness of the kingdom of God. And we pray, Lord, that as we embrace this message for ourselves today, for our own leadership, our own self-leadership, for thinking about this in the context of our, of our households, uh, of which we're a part, for the context of this church, Lord, I just pray that you would release a blessing in the name of Jesus over Discovery Church, uh, Lord, for uh, strong grace in Christ Jesus, for the leadership um, activity that's happened in the past that has produced great fruit and for strong the strong grace of Christ Jesus to cover uh, the leadership failings of the past and we declare in the name of Jesus this glorious future this amazing uh, light Lord of uh, the levels of leadership that provide a strength and um, an aliveness and a vitality to this body uh, this particular body of Christ Discovery Church. In Jesus' name, amen.